All right, if you'd stand with me this morning as we open God's Word. Again, we're in Isaiah chapter 55. We'll read all 13 verses this morning. You can find it in the Pew Bible on page 418. Pastor Chris is going to conclude this series on the invitation, focusing on the last couple of verses. Again, we're going to read Isaiah chapter 55, all 13 verses. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread, and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me, and eat what is good, and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear, and come to me, here and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. Indeed, I have given him as a witness to the people, a leader and commander for the people. Surely you shall call a nation you do not know, and nations who do not know you shall run to you, because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, And the unrighteous man, his thoughts, let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down, and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree, And instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree, and it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Let's pray. God, we thank you and praise you this morning for your word. Lord, we just praise as this series concludes, Lord, that we would be open to your invitation and all that it includes. God, just mold and shape our hearts to be more like you. In Christ's name, amen. Well, we're talking about the invitation. And the best invitations are really open doors to more awesome events. Let me say that again. The best invitations are really open doors to more awesome events. Would you agree? Well, I know that certainly the website awesomenessfest.com would agree with that. If you would check out that Website, you would come to the banner across that website and it says, Welcome to Awesomeness Fest. Every year, 250 select entrepreneurs gather in a paradise location for a very special event. Awesomeness Fest, I just, you know, I got to keep saying it, is an experiential event that brings together people who are driven to change the world. Entrepreneurs, authors, technophiles, mavericks, artists, and visionaries alike. Here you receive powerful training, profound mind shifts, 
mind shifts. Groundbreaking ideas, deep connections, incredible adventures, and unique opportunities to give back so you can play an even bigger game and significantly expand your, uh, your abilities to accomplish bold things. This event is invite only and attracts amazing men and women from all across the planet. Wow, is that, I mean, you're interested, aren't you? Isn't that amazing? And if you're not sold on that, they have seven reasons why you should be a part of Awesomeness Fest. You'll meet amazing people. Number two, take your life to the next level. Number three, enrich your social sphere. Number four, you'll live it up in paradise. Number five, you'll make a difference. Number six, you'll have heaps of fun. And number seven, you will be part of a strictly invite-only event. All right. I hope you know that this is a scam of sorts, right? that promises more than it can deliver. And yet there's people, as you can see, that attend. They put on, it's put on by people who want to make a profit off of other people. But what I read is amazingly, amazingly similar to what God promises us in the coming kingdom and the new creation. See, there's something about reading promises like that that stir something, if we're really honest, deep in our heart of hearts. That's really what we want to do. Don't you want to party in paradise and fulfill your purpose in the process? Wouldn't you like to gather with people from all over the planet and share a common purpose and a common cause? I mean, that's, that's what God promises. You see, here in Isaiah, particularly verses 12 and 13, God, not a mere person or group of person, is inviting us to something more awesome than even Awesomeness Fest. It's an invitation that's backed up by the power of God's Word we saw last week, not just a website. Look at verses 12 through 13 again. For you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth singing before you, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of thorns shall come up the cypress tree, and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree, and it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be caught up, cut, cut off. Now what's more awesome than even awesomeness fest? It's this, the coming of Christ's millennial kingdom and the new creation. The coming of Christ's millennial kingdom and the new creation. Because that's what verses 12 and 13 are talking about. If you would read on through Isaiah, you would find in Isaiah 65, 17 and 19, these words. In fact, you can turn there in your Bibles. Isaiah 65, verses 17 and 19. This is what... The invitation in Isaiah 55 is talking about in Isaiah 65. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing and her people a joy. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people, the voice of weeping Weeping 
shall no longer be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. Our nation has cried this week, but we look to a time and a place when there will be no more crying. In fact, turn over to Revelation 21, Revelation 21, and notice verses 1 through 8. Because you see in these these two verses in Isaiah, this is what he's talking about. This is what he wants us to have in our minds. Look at Revelation 21, 1 through 8. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth, that's where we are now, had passed away. And also there was no more sea, no more chaos, no more unrest. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. The exact thing that Isaiah predicted. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. Isaiah 55, the invitation. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. You see, the sad reality is too many people are going to miss God's most awesome event in all of history. God's most awesome event in all of history is the coming kingdom of Jesus Christ and the new creation it will usher in. I don't want anyone here this morning, I don't want you to miss God's most awesome event. And so, to make sure of that, let's look at the components of a typical invitation. This is the invitation from God to to all people. Well, what are the components of a typical invitation? Who gets to go? Who's invited? Who gets to go to God's most awesome event? When is this awesome event going to take place? And what is it going to be like? And in answering what it's going to be like, we'll find out where it's going to be as well. My prayer is that this God will help us this morning to understand the answer to these questions and apply them to our own lives so we won't miss on what's more awesome than even awesomeness best. So let's look at the first question. Who gets to experience God's most awesome event? Who gets to experience God's most awesome event? Well, everyone. Everyone who responds to God's invitation. Everyone who responds to God's invitation. In other words, everyone who comes to God on His terms. You know, that's the thing about an invite. We don't write our own invitations and then send them to us. Someone is inviting us to their event, and they set the parameters. They determine the invite list, and they determine the terms upon which you come. Now, in Isaiah 55, 
Everyone includes the Jewish people who were in captivity in Babylon. Isaiah is writing to the Jewish people thousands of years ago who were in captivity in Babylon. And just to prove that to you, look at Isaiah 1.1. Let's not forget Isaiah 1.1. Who is he writing this to? The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning what? Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. The southern kingdom of Israel had been taken into captivity. Now Isaiah is predicting and promising that if they would humbly repent of their sin, they're in captivity, if they would forsake their ways, if they would return to the Lord, then spiritually but also physically He would literally take them out of captivity and bring them back to the promised land. Every Jew in captivity who responded on God's terms based on the promises of His Word But it also includes people like you and I, because is this just for the people of Jerusalem? Is it just for the past? No, it's for people like you and I who are considered Gentiles, non-Jewish people. Gentiles like us who may not be in physical captivity in Babylon, but we are in spiritual captivity to self, to sin, to Satan. In Isaiah 55, 5, It says this, Surely you shall call a nation you do not know, and nations who do not know you shall run to you. I'm thankful for that verse. You ought to have that underlined, because we're the nations that don't know Him. We're the ones who weren't His chosen nation. We weren't His chosen people, and yet God calls a nation that is not His own to come to Him. Aren't you thankful for that? You see, it comes down to this. Everyone who thirsts, come. Come, yes, come, come to me, it says in verses 1 through 7. Seek, call, forsake, return. You see, everyone who responds to the invitation gets to go to God's most awesome event in all of history. And that, my friends, is an invitation too good to refuse. Amen? It's an invitation too urgent to delay. It's an invitation that's too powerful to resist because it's an invitation to an event that is too awesome to miss. Anyone who comes by God's grace and not human merit can go to the new creation. That's what, what, that's what verses 1 through 5 are about. Come without price, come without money, and you can attend the feast. You can enter the kingdom. It's by God's grace, not human merit. Come by repentance and faith. We saw that in verses 6 and 7. Come, you have to come on God's terms, recognizing I'm not worthy. I'm a sinner. You're holy. It's only by your mercy and grace. It's only by the blood covenant of Jesus Christ, the Son of David. I come on the basis of who He is and what He's done. I come to Jesus, that Son of David and Son of God. But what about those who refuse the invitation? If it's open to everyone, does that mean everyone will respond no? No one will attend God's most awesome event who rejects God's invitation. No one will be at God's awesome event who rejects God's invitation in Christ. Now looking over this this week, turn your Bibles to Isaiah 65. It's amazing what Isaiah 65 
verses 11 through 14 say. Because it's almost an exact reverse of Isaiah 55. Come, you who thirst. Come, you who are hungry. Come and have joy and peace. But what of those who reject? What of those who refuse the offer that's too good? What of those who delay until it's too late? What of those who think that they can resist God's power? Well, here's what it says. But you are those who forsake the Lord, who forget my holy mountain, who prepare a table for Gad, and who furnish a drink offering for many. Those are two false gods of that day. But look at verse 12. Therefore I will number you for the sword and you shall all bow bow down to the slaughter because when I called you did not answer. When I spoke you did not hear. But did evil before my eyes and chose that in which I do not delight. Therefore thus the Lord God says, now look at this, behold, my servants shall eat, but you shall be hungry. My servants shall drink but you shall be thirsty. Behold, my servants shall rejoice, but you shall be ashamed. Behold, my servants shall sing for joy of heart, but you shall cry for sorrow of heart and wail for grief of spirit. I don't think Isaiah could be any clearer. Isaiah 55, here's the invitation to an awesome event. All you have to do is receive the one who God has chosen. And yet if you reject You will not be in the millennial kingdom. You will not be in Christ's kingdom or in the new creation. So that's who gets to experience it. Everyone who responds to the invitation by grace through faith in Christ. But when is this event going to happen? When is the most awesome event going to take place? Well, there's three answers to that question back in Isaiah 55. As you look at verses 12 through 13, we're going to have to do a little theology here. Don't be scared of that. You, you know, we can, we can think, we can think, and we can study together. We'll get it. I made it as simple as I can. I don't fully understand all of this myself. God ha- God's ways are higher than our ways, okay? So if we're going exp- to understand when all this takes place, then we're going to have to humbly come to him and say, Lord, teach us. So let me give you three answers to this question. When will this most awesome event take place? Number one, it's, gonna, it's already happened partially in the past. It already has happened partially in the past. When, you say? Well, when Israel was led out of the Babylonian captivity back to the promised land in 538 B.C. You say, well, that's no big deal to me. Well, it would be if you were a Jew in captivity, okay? They were excited about it. And here is Isaiah in Isaiah 55 predicting something that's going to happen more than 100 years before it happens. Now, the people that don't believe in the Bible and doubt God and have a small God think that this had to be written after the event. But the reality is, God knows all things, and He gives to His prophets and His people knowledge of what is going to happen in the future. And over a hundred years before it happened, Isaiah predicted down to the pagan ruler who would do the delivering, a a ruler by the name of Cyrus. He predicts two times in this book of Isaiah, he, I will use this pagan ruler who does not believe in me, who does not know me, I will use him, and and, a hundred years before it happened, he predicts it's going to happen. And it did happen. And they were let out in joy. And they returned to the promised land with peace. 
But there are three indicators in these two verses that there is no way that what happened in 538 B.C. could have fulfilled everything in these two verses. So let me quickly give you these. Here's the three indicators that literally and completely this was not fulfilled simply in the people of Israel. Because all creation is not yet rejoiced as promised in verse 12. You know, the mountains aren't clap, clapping or singing and, and the trees weren't, weren't clapping when Israel was delivered. In fact, in Romans chapter 8, Paul tells us that creation is still groaning, waiting for the sons of God to be liberated. You see, in 538, the people of Judah returned. But Paul says creation is still groaning under the weight of the world's sin. There's no, no singing mountains yet. There's no clapping trees yet. The second reason this isn't literally fulfilled yet is the curse of Genesis 3, 17 and 18 has not been completely reversed as promised in verse 13. See, in verse 13 it says there will be no more thorns and briars, and, and that's the curse of sin that came on creation. Listen to Genesis three seventeen and 18. God said to Adam, Because you listened to the voice of your wife, and you have eaten of the tree which I have commanded you, you shall not eat of. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. And then here's what verse 18 says. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. Well, let me tell you. In 538, the people of Judah did return to the promised land, but let me tell you, they still had to use their weed be gone. Because, you see, the promised land was covered with thorns and thistles. They had to pull up weeds just like you and I have to pull up weeds in our yard. We're still using weed be gone. This has not happened yet. Third reason why this has not fully been fulfilled in the people of Israel is because the return of Israel to the promised land was not permanent as promised in verse 13. Verse 13 says, when this is fulfilled, it will be eternal and permanent and no one will cut you off. In the sad history of the people of Israel, the people of Judah, they returned to Jerusalem, they rebuilt the city, they rebuilt the temple, they rebuilt the walls. But the sad story is their Messiah came and they rejected their Messiah, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And the reality is in 70 A.D. the Romans came and destroyed Jerusalem and burnt it and destroyed the temple. And to this day, there is a wailing wall of all that's left. To this day, there is a Middle East conflict. There is no peace. There is no joy in the Middle East. Why? Because even though it was partially fulfilled in the past, it was not completely fulfilled. Well, there's a second aspect to this, because Christ has come. And the second way, or when this will be fulfilled, is spiritually. Spiritually in the present. It was fulfilled partially in the past, but it's fulfilled spiritually right now in the present. Whenever the risen Christ leads his followers out of spiritual captivity into spiritual victory. Aren't you glad for that? You can spiritually experience the, the joy of the new creation. You can spiritually experience the peace of the Prince of Peace as you receive him as your Lord and Savior. This is why when Jesus came, he said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest. He's giving the Isaiah 55. He's giving the invitation. In Luke 4, 16 through 21, Jesus goes to the synagogue, the the Jewish church, his home church, in his hometown. And at the beginning of the ministry, he picks up the Old Testament scrolls, and guess which scroll he picks up? He picks up the Isaiah scroll. And he turns to Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 2. 61, verses 1 through 2. And as he reads that, here's what he says. Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 2. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. Spiritual captivity. And the opening of prison to those who are bound, those in bondage. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he stops. He stops in mid-sentence. Because the very next uh, rest of the sentence says this, and the day of vengeance of our God. And you see, that hasn't come yet. And then he, he, he rolled the scroll up and he set it aside. Then he said the most radical statement. He said, today, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. You see, Jesus Christ is spiritually leading captives out of captivity. He is setting those who are in bondage to sin. He is setting them free even today. You can have the joy of the Lord. You can have a peace that passes all understanding. You can have joy and peace even when there's a chaotic week like our nation has had. This is why Galatians 5, 22 through 25 says the, the, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. These very things that are promised in Isaiah are yours today in Christ if you'll just receive that invitation. It's happening right now spiritually. But there's a third aspect of when it will happen. And that third aspect is it will happen completely in the future. Completely. So it's partially, it happened partially in the past with the people, uh, the people of Judah. It's happening presently, spiritually, in the present. And one day it will completely happen, literally, completely, fully, in the future. When? After Christ returns to reign a thousand years. When all God's people will be led out of this fallen world, this sin-stained, heartbroken world, into the new creation. What is promised in Isaiah 55, 12, and 13, is expressed for us in Isaiah 65. I've already read it in verses 17 and 19. Behold, I make all things new, and the former things pass away. But when will it happen? The answer is in Revelation 21. It will happen after Christ returns, after he reigns for a thousand years. Don't you want, won't that be awesome to finally have a ruler and world leader who is righteous and true, who who is very God and yet very man, Jesus Christ. We sang about it. We sang about it. And one day it's going to happen. One day it's going to happen. The reality is this. Right now, we can individually be new creations in Christ. He can make all things new in your life. 
But one day, he's going to make all things new in this world. That's something you're not going to hear on CNN. That's something you're not going to hear on Fox. That's something that you're not going to hear on the network after a week like this. That's something that you have to come here and be with God's people and hear that someday everything's going to be made right. Someday what we long for in junkets that people are paying for will be experienced in Christ's coming kingdom and the new creation. Now, what will this most awesome event be like? Because, you know, do I want to go to something, you know? I mean, what, what, what's it like? I mean, awesomeness fest sounds pretty good. Can you beat that? Well, let's look at it. For a complete description, read the rest of Isaiah. Don't stop in 55. Read the rest of Isaiah. Read the last four chapters of the Bible, Revelation 19 through 21. But for today, there are seven aspects in these two verses, seven aspects of the most awesome event and what it's going to be like. And the number one is personal joy. There's going to be personal joy. Right in your margin, celebration, freedom, and victory. It's going to be a party, a joyful party. It's time to celebrate. Why? Because we will have finally been set fully free. I'm not just talking about the penalty of sin. When you accept Christ, he forgives the debt we owe. I'm not just talking about the power of sin. You know, we have been set free. Sin does not have to control us, though we often let it. And we always will be tempted as long as it's present in our life. The beautiful thing in the new creation, no more sin. The presence will be gone. No more sin in my life, in the lives of people around us. Because again, we were reminded this week that sin in the lives of others can have drastic consequences for the people around us. There will be no more sin in this world. No more death, no more sin. Just joy, joy, joy. And with joy comes number two, total peace. There's going to be total peace. Not partial peace. Not just a peace in my heart while chaos rules around me. But total peace, completeness, wholeness, satisfaction. Here, here's how I... Peace is more than... you know. So we all have different definitions of peace, right? You know, for some, it's very quiet. That's peaceful. For others, it's like... Being at a Royals game or, a, you know, being in a crowd, it's just, we have different definitions of peace. But here's what God means by peace. He means all the pieces of the puzzle will finally fit together. And that be, that's, a, that's, that's it. All the pieces. Everything will be connected. Everything will make sense. My life will be whole. Your life will be whole. Now, if you take these two things, personal joy and total peace, I was trying to think of some word pictures that maybe we could relate to. For you NASCAR fans, it's going to be like victory lane. You know, you've conquered your competitors, you're doing your burning rubber deal, and you're jumping out of the car, and they're spraying beverages on you, and it's just joy, it's just a joy of victory. And it's like everything came together, I won! I can see some of you are not NASCAR fans. For you college basketball fans, it will be like center court after winning the final four. Pastor Bruce? Yeah. yeah they weren't there, my friend. 
Another team was rejoicing. They're in the center court. They're, I mean, it's just like, woo, right? For you baseball fans, it's been a while. It will be like celebrating on the pitcher's mound after winning the World Series. And even longer for us football fans, it will be like the Super Bowl in the middle of the field, or for you true football fans, the World Cup being lifted up. Everything will have come together. We will have been victorious, and we will celebrate. Because our lead scorer, our superstar, has returned and reigned. And that's why it's a royal kingdom. Number three, it's a royal kingdom. Because this is about Christ and Him coming to rule on the earth and ushering in the new creation. Why will we be able to go out from captivity? Why will we, who will lead us out in marching in triumph? Because that's the picture here. We're going out. You know, I have to say, you know, one of my favorite scenes in the Ten Commandments, Charlton Heston, is when they're let loose out of the Exodus. And man, they are marching, and there goes the different... Anyway, I can't... It's just a great scene. you got to go get it for that. Because it pictures the deliverance. But it's because the son of David, mentioned here in Isaiah 55, is also the son of God. He's our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is King of kings and Lord of lords, and He has returned. Now, I know it's hard for some of you younger folks. The Return of the King is not just a story by J.R.R. Tolkien. The Return of the King is what we're looking forward to. The Return of the King is Jesus Christ fulfilling the invitation here on earth. Jesus Christ will sit on the throne of David and rule over the earth for a thousand years. Then he will surrender his kingdom to his Father, and heaven will come down to earth, and there will be a new creation with a new heaven and new earth. Let me read to you 1 Corinthians 15 to just get a feel for... Because we, we, we forget about this. We think we're just going to go up there to heaven, and then we kind of cut things off, but there's so much more we should be listen, looking to. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15. Each in his own order. Christ will rise first. He's done that. Then at his coming, we look forward to that, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. And when it says all things are put in subjection, it's plain that he is accepted who put all things under. In other words, everything's going to be under Christ. Christ is going to be ruling over everything. But after a thousand years, this is the beauty of our submitted, surrendered king. Here's what he does. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjected under him. Why? that God may be all in all. We forget about that part. We forget that in the end, even Jesus will glorify the Father. And that's why, number four, there'll be universal harmony. Because Christ will have come to reign, and because He surrenders all to the Father, there's going to be universal harmony. See, no matter how we respond to the invitation, creation will respond. 
all of creation will respond. And I already mentioned Romans 8 where it says creation longs. Well, that's the beauty of Isaiah, Isaiah 12. The mountains are going to shout forth in singing. The trees are going to begin to clap. They're going to wave back and forth, and as their branches hit, it's like a clapping. The mountains are going to shake and move. Just read the book of Revelation to get a feel for how much nature and geography is going to change once Christ comes and the curse of sin is no more. Yes, this is a word picture of universal blessing of salvation and harmony of the universe, but I would suggest to you this is literal, physical reminder that all creation will be set free. The ground will shake and be transformed. Trees will be more fruitful. They will burst forth. Just right here in Isaiah 54, it says, The mountains may depart and the hills will be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you. Now, why will this universal harmony be there? Because of number, what are we on? Number five, reversal of the curse. Number five, the reversal of the curse. I already read to you Genesis 3 where thorns and thistles, this is the beauty. Look, look what he says in verse 13. The thorn is no more. Where thorns used to grow, suddenly a cypress tree is going to sprout up. Where only was a briar patch or literally a stinging nettle, you know, things that poke and pull and clean and hurt and are poisonous. They're going to be gone, and suddenly there's going to be myrtle trees. Now, myrtle trees and cypress trees mean nothing to me, and maybe they mean nothing to you. But here's what they are. They're evergreen trees. Where there's death, there's going to be life. Where that which would die is going to be that which is evergreen throughout all of creation. And here's the reversal of the curse. Revelation 22, verse 3. There will be no more no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His bondservants will serve Him. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. Am I hearing amens? For the former things have passed away. And He who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Write these things down, for this is trustworthy and true. And why is this all happening? Number six, it's a memorial to the Lord. It's a memorial to the Lord. It's to make His name famous. It's for the fame of His name. It's to make much of Him. Now, we build memorials. And here in Kansas City, we have one of the greatest memorials men have ever built. And it's built to remember World War I. It's called the Liberty Memorial. To remember the price that was paid for liberty. It's to remember the sacrifices that were given, the lives that were given, the heroic things that were done. But here in Isaiah 55, 13, we have an even greater memorial. It's a living liberty memorial that is the new creation. See, everything that God's going to do In this new creation, including you and I as being new creatures in Christ, everything is meant to be a memorial. And when they look at us, and when we look at the new creation, we're to remember, this is the kind of God that we have. We have a God who is this gracious. We have a God who is this glorious. We have a God who is this merciful. 
We have a God who is this sovereign. Look, look at what we are and look at where we are. This is awesomeness fest. Because we have a God who is this great and this glorious. But how long will it last? Number seven, it will be eternal. It will have eternal fulfillment. It will never last. They had to prop up the Liberty Memorial, and we had to pay to do that here in Kansas City. No one's going to have to prop up the new creation. No one's going to ever desecrate it. There will be no terrorism. There will be no one to disrupt the peace. No one will rob us of our joy. It will be an eternal memorial to the greatness of our God. Well, we've answered the questions of who gets in, when it's going to be, and what it's going to be like. Now, if you don't want to go, there's nothing more I can do. But there are two dangers that I want you to avoid. Two dangers. And it's this. When you get an invitation to an awesome event, think of what it would be. What would be your most awesome event other than the new creation? What would be your most awesome event? What would be your awesomeness fest if you could plan it and design it? What would you do? Where would you go? Now, imagine... Getting that invitation and then not responding. See, that's the first danger we need to watch out this morning. Don't miss the event by not responding to the invitation. This is the last in this series. We've come to the end of Isaiah 55, and the bad news is this. If you don't RSVP, you don't get in. How many have ever failed to RSVP? Go ahead, admit it. How many, when you failed to RSVP, you went anyway? Okay, how many tried that and weren't allowed in? Okay, well, here's the the bad news. When you don't RSVP to God's most awesome event, you will not be allowed in. It will be too late. The good news is it's not too late to RSVP this morning. Trust in the Lord this morning. He will spiritually lead you out of captivity and you will look forward to the new creation. It's not too late. Don't miss God's most awesome event by not responding to the gospel this morning. But maybe you're here and you've already responded, but I think this is the greater greater danger for those of us who have responded, and it's this. Don't mistake responding to the invitation with actually attending the event. Now, I know you have never done this, but have you ever RSVP'd and then forgot to go? Okay, you forgot to go, and you're like, oh my gosh, I said I was going to be there, and I forgot to go. This is like taking an invitation to the most awesome event you've ever been invited to, and you say, yeah, I'm going to come, and then you take the invitation, you put it on the wall, you frame it, and you look at it, and then you just move on with your life. And they say, hey, you going to the awesome event? Yeah, it's, it's hanging there on the wall. Yeah, but you're not preparing. You're not getting ready. You're not talking about it. Let me tell you, if I got invited to my most awesome event, I'd be getting ready. My, my daughter's getting ready for the eighth grade dance. I don't know how she got to go. She didn't discuss it with me, discussed it with my wife. <laughs> and then went and bought the dress with my wife. I'm just, I'm just here finding out after the event. But let me tell you, she intends to go. In fact, she told us she was going. And she's preparing. And she's excited. And she's talking about it with her friends. Don't mistake this morning that just because you responded to God's invitation in the gospel, don't mistake that for attending the actual event. 
because it's coming. And it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. And we need to get ready for it now. We need to dress for it now. We need to live for it now. And we need to talk it up with those who have not yet responded. Let's pray. As we go into our prayer time, I want you to think about those two simple things. Who do you know, who do you know that has not yet responded to God's invitation? Who do you know that has not yet responded and you need to talk it up with them? You need to share your excitement. You need to share your joy. You need to show them the source of your peace and how you've been set free Pray for that individual in our response time. That's the first thing. Pray for those who have not yet responded. Secondly, ask yourself, have I mistaken responding to the invitation for actually getting ready for the event? Am I excited about the new creation? Are my roots too deep in this earth? Have I forgotten to think about what's coming? Please, I challenge you. Hold more dear that which is not yet here than what is all around us. Hold more dear what is not yet here than what is around us. I'm here if you want to pray. Pastor Bruce is here, Pastor Tyrone, others in our church. Let's respond to God's invitation as they sing. Father in heaven, we pray, help us to delight in what's coming more than what's already here. And may those around us who have not yet responded see a difference and hear the joy and the peace and the hope of our better tomorrow. And I pray, Lord, that they will see in us a joy and a peace and a purpose and a hope and a love that will cause them to respond and get a taste for the most awesome event in all of history. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.